Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. Somebody say praise the Lord. 2 Samuel chapter 9, welcome to this Wednesday night Bible study. We're so glad that you are here. And certainly if you want to move down closer, our youth are having their service and our different breakout sessions around the building. But uh, you're welcome to come closer if you want to. Amen. Looks like social distancing from the preacher tonight. It's not the first time, I promise. 2 Samuel chapter 9, reading with verse 1. Isn't it great to be in God's house? Amen. I, I want to, I think, talk on a very important subject, especially following uh, the series that we had on Journey Through Grief. I think what I will be speaking on tonight matches, at least goes along with, in addition to those four weeks. And I had someone when I was in Indianapolis walk up to me and they said, I just want to tell you, how much of a blessing the journey of grief has been to me. And uh, someone that was, I believe, from either Wisconsin or Michigan, that they're watching online, tuning in, and they're talking about what a strength it is. And they said, we want to be able to teach this to people that we know. So thank you, Sister Annie, Brother Brown, and, and uh, those that were involved. And hasn't it been a blessing? Amen. Second um, Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, it says, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God? Everybody say, The kindness of God unto him. And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Micah, the son of Emiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house from Lodabar. Verse 6, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. Verse 7 is very powerful. David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. And will what? Restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Meaning forever. As long as you want to, you've got a place at my table. He was not blood family to David. He was David's great friend's son who had passed away. And David had a covenant not with Mephibosheth. David had a, a covenant with Mephibosheth's parent. 
And because he loved Jonathan, he took care of Jonathan's child. I'd like to talk to you from this portion of Scripture. We're going to talk about blended families today. I'm going to teach you how to succeed and have success in a blended family. And tonight, that's exactly my subject. It's simply one word, and it's blended. Would you clap your hands and thank God for His Word? Amen. Why don't we love Him? Hasn't He been good to us? We love you today. We worship you. This is your house. I pray tonight there will be revelation, instruction, and inspiration tonight to be better than they've ever been. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. You may be seated while studying, um, planning, I should say, for the Journey of Grief series. Sister Annie and I were sitting there walking subject by subject, week by week. Uh, planning this. There's a lot of planning that goes into a service like we have. And uh, I told her I feel to talk about blended families. Um, and because it's very applicable to many people in our, in our culture, um, to our congregation. And I see different types of blended families. Sister Annie and Brother Dave Brown, uh, both lost their spouses, both individually had their own children, and then they became one family unit, his kids, her kids, which together becomes just our kids. Everybody say us and we. And how do you manage? What, what's the biblical precedence? I have to say growing up, uh, growing up I, I don't remember hearing... Any preaching that I remember could have been too young to acknowledge what was going on. I certainly don't remember every message I ever heard. Now, I know all of y'all remembered all of mine. And just like you remembered your spouse's every meal she's ever cooked or your mother's. And the spirit of sarcasm is all over us tonight. Um, but we do understand that uh, I, I just... Traditional marriage, everything's based on traditional marriage. Boy meets girl, girl meets boy, they fall in love, they have children, they have life ever after. But it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes there's tragedy hits the families. We've heard about for four weeks, and uh, then the unexpected, the, the different fallouts, the things that you can't foresee. You remarry, and then you have uh, children that aren't biologically yours, and how do you measure that? How do you handle that? How do you deal with that? And it could be a single parent. And you marry someone that has, they're a single parent, and then you take them into your life. And so it could be uh, several different scenarios. Uh, one could be blended family because the death of a spouse. It could be a blended family because a divorce situation. Um, it could be a blended family because of fostering and or Adopting, And uh, so I see a lot of that. Got great friends of mine that have fostered as well as adopted. And they have biological children as well as adopted children. And it is, everybody say, a blended family. There's nothing wrong with a blended family. I believe God ordains it. Do you believe that? I believe God ordains it. And I believe God's hand is certainly upon that, not just a traditional family. And let everybody say amen. 
you know, when you look at scripture, the Bible says that we have been adopted by him and that we can cry unto him, Abba, Father. He brought us into his family. He made us his family. And the Bible says that now that we are his sons, guess what? We are heirs to the throne of grace. He didn't just say, I'm going to do this for the Jews and, you know, just be glad you're here as Gentiles. No, he has one group of children. It's the Jews and the Greek. There's no longer a wall between the Jew and the Greek and the bond and the free. It's gone. It's now we are all his children. Aren't you glad for that? And thank God for that. Amen. I think how we handle, how we handle uh, their kids and how we handle our kids maybe is going to be a little bit different in the blended family. But when it comes down to it, the language has to match scriptural precedence. Let's let God's word be the template. Let's let God's word be. It cannot be, well, that's your kids and that's my kids and these are the ones we had together. It can't be that way. I personally believe that it has to become, when you get married in a blended family, it becomes our kids. It's our kids. Or there's categories. And if there's categories, there's jealousy. If there's categories, then there's, uh, then there's different treatment. There's different expectation. Now, how you handle discipline and things like that, maybe we'll deal with that in just a little bit. Uh, we will. But I want to talk practically tonight and, and have some instruction how to deal with these things. You say, well, we're not a blended family. I'm still preaching to you because you could become one. You might adopt. Uh, you might have a child that, that, that goes through something and has, and has this, and you need to have some practical points on how to deal with this. Because what happens in blended families, we deal with these unrealistic expectations in blended families. And let's talk about a few of those. Um, there are some myths. There are some myths that we can talk about. Um, and it goes something like this. Um, because we love each other, the other family members will also love each other. That is a myth. Just because you marry her and, or, or she marries him and because we love each other, our kids are going to love each other. You might love each other and they fight like cats and dogs and you hear the word hate all the time. Uh, when you get together, it, it's not always going to be, especially initially. It, well, this is God's ordained that we've got a word from the Lord. We're supposed to be together. This is God's family. And guess what? It's just chaos at its best for a period of time. Then you're like, where's God? And we put unrealistic expectations of what's going to happen instead of learning to work through that. The reality is, as, as we teach, is love, love and or good relationships may or may not happen between step family members. Sometimes that's possible. It will likely take time for emotional bonds to develop. Some will bond quickly, others slowly, and it is possible that some individuals may never bond. We believe in miracles in the church, but we believe that Growing is a process. How many believe that? The same way sanctification in our own life is a process. You do, don't, don't plan to get married and blend a family and uh, uh, Thanksgiving dinner is going to be amazing on the first year. It might taste bad. It might not be the same. Come on, let's just be honest. Uh, the Bible says two, 
two shall become one flesh. And I heard, I've heard people say the first year of marriage for some was World War III. And it's a traditional marriage. Don't even have any children in the early 20s because you're blending two family backgrounds together. How I many know it's true? I teach this in premarital counseling. And uh, um, expectations are different. And I tell this story just being funny, but I'll never forget. And you've heard the story, act like you ha- haven't and just, just bear with me. But I'll never forget sitting down. We we're first married and I said, uh, you know, Cindy makes absolutely amazing spaghetti. It's my favorite spaghetti in the world. And when she mo- first made the spaghetti, I'll never forget sitting down. And the plate was there and the salad and the, and the garlic bread and the sweet tea. And I said, where's the mashed potatoes? Well, that's sort of what she did. She scratched her head and she said, excuse me. And I said, where's the mashed potatoes? And uh, she said, you don't eat mashed potatoes with spaghetti. I said, well, that's how my mom always fixed it. Well, I didn't know at 23 years old, that's not what you're supposed to say when you're blending a relationship. And one of her eyebrows just cocks one way, you know, and, and uh, that just fuels the fire in a young couple. And, uh, you know, her, her, her ability to understand her opinion, let me put her opinion. And she, she, you can get, you can have the mic after me and defend yourself here in a little bit, uh, Cindy, but, but, uh, uh, she said, well, mashed potatoes, they don't go with spaghetti. And I hear her amen in me still 20 years later, <laughs> you know, Monday we celebrated 20 years, 20 years ago, Monday, we got engaged. Yeah. I told her Monday, I said, let's celebrate this again in 20 years. Amen. Let's do that again. Uh, But I'll never forget. She said, oh, that's too many carbs together. Just for the sake, how many like mashed potatoes with spaghetti? Anybody in the building like mashed? Five of you. Well, you know what? Only eight people escaped uh, uh, the flood. So. Only three got out of Sodom and Gomorrah, so I'm not intimidated by your, your opinion. I'm not even going to ask the other question, see the other side. I'll never forget right after that. I sort of accepted her that, that it's, it's, it's different, you know, and whatever, and she didn't like the idea of it. Then I went down. We haven't been married long. We go to her house, go to her mom's, and, uh, and she says something like this. Oh, Aaron, Aaron, I am... Fixing Cindy's favorite meal tonight. Oh, I'm like, that's great. What is it? It's pinto beans, fried potatoes, macaroni and cheese, um, cornbread. You know what I started thinking? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's what I started thinking exactly. I said, this is going to be great. I'm excited to be here. So during the meal, I'm like, oh man, this tastes good. She's like, oh, I like that. Oh, you like, do you like those macaroni and cheese and your potatoes? Oh yeah. She didn't even see it coming. Some more onions and cornbread and put it together. Oh, mom, I I called uh, Taloa, sister, mom, mom, this is great. I love, Cindy, you really, she, this is your favorite meal. <laughs> this is your favorite meal? That's amazing. How many carbs are on the table? Praise God. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think the next time I eat 
spaghetti had some mashed potatoes. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> when you are blending families, you're going to have differences. That's just all there is to it. How you celebrate holidays, how you celebrate, uh, how, how you celebrate things, your expectations of birthdays, the expectations of all kinds of things can waver uh, in just a traditional marriage. When you bring children that are not yours in there, it amplifies it. It magnifies it. It doesn't make it any easier because you've got kids. And if they are teenagers when you blend the family, that all by itself, all by itself with all of its estrogen and testosterone and chaos has just joined the family with emotion. Uh, you, know, you know, it's just life. And so when you're dealing with this, how do you deal? I'm not trying to make it sound bad. I'm trying to make it sound real here tonight. And so you get in, we want God to fix all things and we want God to take care of it. Some things are just false expectations we put on ourselves, we put on them, and we put on the children that we can fix. Can you say amen? Can't force them to get along. It takes time. And so uh, I will stop here and say today that, that David, though, had a commitment to Mephibosheth because he made a vow to Jonathan. He, he, he loved him. The Bible says he loved Jonathan. They were best buddies. He loved him as his own soul. He trusted him with his life. So much he said when he was fleeing the table of Saul because Saul was jealous of David. Saul looks at Jonathan and says, is there any evil in me? He said, if there is, take your sword out and take my life now. If he's after me because I've got wrong in my life, I trust you. You can judge me. Kill me now. And he said, David, it's not you. It's my dad. He said, but I, I need us to talk because I know you're going to live, but it's possible I'm not going to. And God's going to do this. I'm asking you, will you love me and my family? And David says to him, I will love your children as my own. I make a covenant with you because I love you. I'm going to take care of them. If you're absent, I'm going to love them because I love you. And guess what? What happens is Jonathan and Saul were both killed. Grandpa and Jonathan, David's best buddy, gone. David, at some point in his life, he had seemed that all of Saul's family, the boys certainly were killed. Jonathan is killed in the battle. And David, David out of a covenant, David out of love. Everybody say love. David out of love for Jonathan. David out of a covenant with Jonathan. It sounds like, it sounds like paralleling that to marriage to me. That you are in covenant with your spouse and you love your spouse and you make a vow to them. That David says into, uh, uh, David, David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. He said, I'm not doing this for me. I'm not even doing this for them. I'm doing this because I love Jonathan. I'm doing this because I'm in covenant with Jonathan. And he goes out of his way. Seeks out if there's any children left of Jonathan. And he finds that there is one. And his name is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth, you know where Mephibosheth is? Mephibosheth is in Lodabar. Lodabar was the poverty city of that region. Lodabar is never where you would expect. I came here to teach and I'm preaching right now. But Lodabar is, 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 is the bad side of town. It is not where you would think there would be royal seed living. 
It was intentionally done because when David was made king, they knew that the new reigning king will destroy out of tradition in, in monarchies, that they would destroy any seed of the throne to be any threat to his. So they took Jonathan's son, uh, Mephibosheth, and his nurse took off running with him thinking that the king was going to kill him. She didn't know that the king had a covenant to him. Some, I'm just going to stop here on a Wednesday night and tell you, some people run from God because they don't know the love of the king for you. If you only knew the covenant that God has for you, you wouldn't run and hide in the bar. You wouldn't run and hide in sin. You would run to him. He's not trying to kill you. He wants to help you. And this lady nurse, in her innocence, she took him up at a young age at five. She trips and falls and he falls. When it does, the fall is so great because somebody was ignorant in their decision, unlearned in going down the wrong direction. We're going to take him to Lodabar because no one would ever expect royalty to be in Lodabar. And they trip and fall and damages Mephibosheth at five years old. He's now, he's now a cripple. He now can't walk on his own. He's now dependent. This is Jonathan's boy. Fear certainly had hit the family. All the uncles, dad is gone. Grandpa's gone. All the uncles are gone. And, and, and here they are hiding this little boy in a load of bar in a, in a town. I've been redundant here tonight, but they're hiding him in a town of poverty. And uh, finally, at some point in David's life, he starts wondering, I haven't seen the families scattered. Is there, is there any... Do you know if there's any, any children of Jonathan left? And somebody said, there is. We know exactly where he is. Well, where's he at? He's in Lodabar. He said, we're, I, want you to go, I want you to go fetch him. I, King James Version, I want you to go get him and bring him here. When he gets there and he sees this man. I try to find out how old he is. I don't, I'm not specific uh, how old he would be at this, but much older, I would imagine. I, I picture him now. As, a, as, a, as an adult man uh, when he gets there. But when Mephibosheth arrives at this place, he tells Mephibosheth, fear not. This is a man looking at a child that is not biologically his, but he's got a covenant with and a covenant to. You don't have to fear when you're in my presence. You see that? Watch, for I will surely show thee kindness for your dad's sake. I'm going to love you because I loved your dad. I'm, let me put it this way. I'm going to love you because I love your parent. I, I want to stop here for a moment and say the thing that's going to make the adopted children or the children... I've got many friends. I've got, over the, growing up, I've had friends that were adopted and they never knew their biological parent. They were adopted by their mother's husband and showed the love that was shown in that relationship, the bond that happened to somebody that was not biologically connected. But when you look here, man, I feel the Lord in this room right now. You're not loving them for them. You're loving them for the spouse. You're loving them for the parent. And, and what happens is, is when, when you love the parent. Everybody say, love the parent. 
the children are going to come around because they see how much you love their parent. It's not long till their heart is going to be toward you. There's a stranger in the house initially, and it's you. You're the stranger. And to try to turn around in six months and say, you need to call me dad. You need to call me mom. That's, that's not realistic. How many know that? Want them to sit on your... And I, I know there's a difference between a newborn and a 17-year-old or, or, or a 5-year-old and a 15-year-old. I, I realize there's... A bit, just be creative with me. I can't cover every age here today or every category of that. We don't have enough time for that. But I do feel that, that we can't pressure them. It's okay to be Bill. It's okay to be Tom. It's okay to be Sarah. It's okay to be whatever, whatever your name is. It's okay to be that for a while. Don't try to be dad. Try to be their parent's Spouse that loves them. And he said, because I'm going to show him the kindness of God. And what he was saying is, I'm going to let God's love and goodness reflect through my life to them. I'm going to be the Christ-like in their world. I'm going to be the one that shows the greatness of God. And I would say initially, maybe it can change over time, but typically, and it becomes our, everybody say our kids, our family. But after time, after time, pretty much initially, the disciplinarian for that child needs to be the biological parent. Now, behind the scenes, you shut the door and you discuss, I don't like how they're acting. I think it's ignorant, the things that are doing. You know, this is a typical parent conversation. And uh, things like, am I crazy or are they crazy? Come on, any real parents in the room? You ever, any of you ever felt like you were crazy trying to parent? Oh, my lands. Man, am I crazy? Is this normal? I mean, it's just parenting at, at its best. And, uh, and you, you have a discussion behind the scenes, but not in front of the kids. Because when you come out of the bedroom in a place of, in a place, you know, the conference room, and you come out and uh, you speak as one, because the Bible says two shall become. It didn't say if it's, an, if it's a traditional family. It said, when you get married, you're one. You speak as one. Well, your dad said no. I would have let you. You know how he is. He's just... I know mom said no, but just go ahead and do it. But don't tell her. What you've done is split your home right down the middle. You've made two families. You've made two parents instead of one flesh. You don't do it. I'm going to tell you, I grew up and I've, I've seen this happen and I watched kids go astray when they got over because mom and dad never agreed. When dad was doing his thing, mom was letting him have, he, he believed this, but she let him do this. should never have been anything in secret. You are one. You know what that means? There's no secrets between mom and daddy. No, oh man, I feel like I need to stay right here for a little while. There's no secrets between mom and dad. Don't tell dad. Don't tell mom. I'm sorry, but we're one. You tell me, we're going to tell them. Now, I realize there could be some things, the shameful things or whatever. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about there, there, there's discipline's got to be in order and you've got to be in agreement. Somebody say amen. And the spouse has got to understand that I'm going to love these kids as my own. And David went on to say, David went on to say that thou shalt eat bread at my table. Everybody say my. He said, you get to eat. I'm going to have you to eat. What he was saying was there's a place for you. There's a place for you at my house. This isn't her house. 
just his house. He's, there's a place for you. There is a place for you at the table. And when he put Mephibosheth, are you ready? Put Mephibosheth at his table and he scooted his legs under the table. It covered all of his handicaps. It covered the failures of yesterday. It covered where it covered Lodabar, where he come from. Because when you get married, you have no past. You only have a future. And when you blend a family, you have no past. You only have a future. And I think we ought to clap our hands and thank God because that's the right way. That is the right way. We're not bringing up tomorrow. We're not going to talk about what happened before. We're going to love them now. Everybody say, there's a place at my table. You know what that place is? It's a place of nourishment. It's a place of safety. That's what he was saying. You can study this out. You can read it out. It is, it is us. It is our. Man, I feel the Lord. How many feel God in this room right now? How many believe God can bless a blended family and make it amazing? Here's, here's a myth. Our children will feel as happy about this new family as we do. It's not true. Look at your neighbor and say it's going to take some time. The truth is children will at best be confused about the new marriage. Confused about the new marriage. And at worst, they'll resent it. Remarriage is a game for adults and a challenge for children. Only after much time when family stability is obtained. And that is the goal. Can't be arguing in front of the children. That creates what? It does. It creates instability. Distance. Because when you are... Are you okay? Haven't lost you, have I? When you are in an argument with their mom, or you're in an argument with their dad, and there's tension... There's going to be sides drawn. Don't talk that way to my mom. Don't talk that way to my... Are you seeing it? Then all of a sudden, we, the parents have now done what we were saying the children shouldn't do. They've divided the marriage right now in the middle. It's, it's me and my kids. It's him and his kids. And there, there, there is a, uh, we, we got the Confederates on this side and we got the Union Army on this side and they're drawing muskets right now. They're cocking the hammers back. It's now a war of sides and that was never the will of God. And so you operate as one and so you're going to have differences. How do you handle those? Not in front of the children. Blended families or traditional families. We've all messed up a time or two. How many know that's true? I'm telling you right now, discipline and disciple sound a whole lot alike. And being disciplinarian of your own emotions and your own responses. Just because you're mad doesn't mean you need to respond. Just because you're, you're, you're broken doesn't need, mean you need to respond. Take a place. Kids cannot handle instability. They have to have a stable force among them. And that's what David was doing with Mephibosheth. Fear not. 
There's a place at my table. We can cover your past. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you everything you should have received. I'm going to be to you what your dad could have been to you. I'm going to make sure you get everything he would have wanted you to have because I knew him. I want you to receive. And he said, I'm going to restore things to you that was lost. In a blended family, that should be the mindset. Not what I can get out of this. What can I restore in this so the family will be whole? The goal should be restoration for those kids. Happiness for those kids. And if you do that, I'm telling you, and you love one another, it will come to pass and greatness and the hand of God will separate, will, will, will set upon you. Would you clap your hands and thank God for his word? The myth, the step parents will quickly bond with the children and act like another parent. Sometimes step parents want so badly to be accepted. They try to manage the children as a parent would. They get your neighbors say, don't do that. They may also try to show affection like a biological parent would. Children often need some space initially to build a relationship with a step parent. It is often a good idea to let the child set the pace and follow their lead. Follow the child's lead. Number one, can I say tonight, you are not in competition with the biological parent. If it's a divorce situation, you're not competing with who's going to be the greatest dad or the greatest mom with the stepchild. You've got to just show kindness of God and be consistent. And when they see the consistency, they're going to gravitate to you and they will accept you into their life at some time. And if there's four kids, they might accept you at four different levels, four different time periods. How many believe that's true? We will be able to easily form a new family. In most cases, children didn't ask for this new family. They need time to develop a history and sense of family. Don't push to create relationships. It is often better to have minimal expectations of how relationships will develop rather than grand expectations which may fail to materialize. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to be a reflection of Jesus Christ as a spouse. How many want to be biblical? And if you will, let's, let's all stand. If you will let God flow through your life, it's not your kindness. It's kindness of what? Everybody say the kindness of God. When you show the kindness of God, you're forgiving, you control your tongue, you nourish, you, you correct with love. The Bible says... Um, Reprove and rebuke with all long suffering and patience. Look at your neighbor and say, you know, you need some of that. Be slow to speak. Quick to listen. Slow to get angry. And quick to, everybody say forgive. That's every relationship in your life. But that has to be in your home is quick forgiveness. Slow to get angry. Sit down and listen. James Dobson made this statement, and uh, they can come to the keyboard. We're going to pray tonight, and I know this is instructional, hopefully inspirational at some level, but James Dobson made a statement, and he said, he said, you know what the number one room in the house is? It's not the bedroom for a couple or a family. It's certainly not the entertainment room, because that's where your attention's on everything but family. True? 
Where is it at? James Dobson said it's the dining room. And the reason is because there's food there. There's mashed potatoes with spaghetti. There's pinto brains and cornbread and fried potatoes and macaroni and cheese. It's where family is disconnected from society. And for a period of time, they are what? Talking. How was your day? How was school today? How did you do in your test? How was work? What did you do? How's your friends doing? How are you treated? And you're having family conversation. He went on to say that out of, out of 100 successful families, and he interviewed like 1,000, but what he had categorized as 100 successful families, guess what he found out? The number one, and that was uh, they, had, they had stayed married and their kids moved on to do good things and on and on. The nom- common denominator, denominator is about 20 years ago. But he said the common denominator was one thing. It was camping. Why camping? Because it used to be before they had satellites everywhere. Cell towers. Camping, you sit around the fire and did what? You talk. Communicate. And he found that the success of families was communication. Cindy and I were out to eat with some friends and it wasn't long, there was a family that came into the restaurant, sat really close to us. I watched the whole time they were there. Mom, dad, son, and daughter. Beautiful family. When they sat down, they got their phones out. I never watched them have one conversation. Do you remember that, honey? The entire meal. Everybody had their phone and not one person talked. They're missing it. They're missing it. And people can grow up in your house and you never get to know them. And what's your spouse's favorite color? Don't shout it out because if you miss it, you're going to get looked at funny. Well, what's your kid's favorite? What do they want to be when they grow up? You know, it changes between age 5 and 15. Then it changes about 10 times between 5 and 17. But what's their, what's their interest? What's a blended? Uh, uh, what are we doing? We've got to spend time together. I'll end on this and I'll, I'll go tonight. But I'm going to tell you what you need more than anything in your family, traditional or blended. You've got to have God in the middle of it. And if you'll go to church... Things that you talk about at home will be preached at from the pulpit because the word of God is quick. That means it's alive. It'll match your family dynamics. You think we were just talking about that. Create devotion at home to where you talk about conversation, sitting down, turn the TV off. Get your kids unplugged out of the bedroom. Your kids don't need a TV in their bedroom. That's chaos waiting to happen. There are moments from failure if they've got a television in their room just accessing anything in the world. Do you want an atheist teaching your kids? I'll take it further. Do you want a pervert teaching your kids? Then leave a TV in their home. Leave a TV in their bedroom. Leave leave an open access internet in their hand all night long. That's got to be... You know what? Well, we don't know what we're going to talk about. Listen, you're old. 
You got a lot that you can talk about. 25 and 30 and 40 years, their story. You can tell stories, get the Bible out and talk about it. Be interested in them because if you're not, somebody else is going to. Dads, get involved with your kid's life. Get involved. Mothers, be involved. Not just dad. Dad, not just mom. I, well, yeah, I work all the time. Well, you need, to, you need to do some work and less and be with your kids. Can you say amen? We are eat up with entertainment. And we are not eat up with spending time with family. I've never had one guy, 50 plus year old, that said, you know, pastor, I regret spending so much time with my kids. But I can't tell you how many have told me if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't have worked the optional overtime. I'd have spent time with my kids and I'd lived less and spent more time with them. Because they're here today and gone tomorrow. How many know it's true? How many want to be a blessing to your family, to your spouse, and to your children? How many want to be that? One of the greatest things you can do, take them to church with you. Sit on this. I know we got youth service and youth things, but every now and then, you see what's happening. Sit in church with your kids. Get them around. Let them look up and see tears run down your face because you love God and it will, it will, it will flow through you to them. Be in church. Love God. Sister Ashley, I've watched what God's done in your son because you brought him to church. There's greatness in him. You know why? There's greatness in me. Paul said to Timothy, he said, it was in your grandmother, it was in your mother, and I'm persuaded it's in you also. How many want to be a blessing to your family? Let's lift our hands and reach out to the Lord. Go ahead. God, we love you today. Hallelujah. I want us all to repent and say, God, we haven't done it all. We haven't always done it right. As a spouse, as a parent, as an adopted parent, a step-parent, God, I, I pray today that you would let me have wisdom. Let your love shine through me. Let there be love and hope and peace and care. And let our home be filled with your spirit, not just at church. Let your word be in our house. God, let us, let us love Mephibosheth. Make a place for him and restore him. Restore. Cover up his handicap. Cover up his mistake. Cover up the failure of yesterday. And bring healing to today and to tomorrow. God, we know it takes time. It doesn't all happen in a day. Let our endeavors moving forward be healing, restoring, forgiving, loving, nourishing, bettering. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, God wants you to be His son. God wants you to be His daughter. Let's love Him. Go ahead and let's worship the Lord today. If you want to come to the altar and pray, you can. If you want to pray at your seat, I think it'd be good to take a few moments and say, let your word soak into my spirit. Let's do that all over the building. Let's talk to the Lord today. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.